Wow, thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, standing ovation, that's great. I wish my mother could have seen that. I mean, that, that was terrific. Well, it's, it's good to be home. Good to be home. You say, I've never seen you before in my life. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted the picture of the Haltom City Water Tower and was, it was when I was just a little boy, about three years old, my dad had come out of the Army, and he was a police detective in Haltom City. I have zero memories of that, except I just know that I was here and he was here, and for just about a year of my life, this was home. So it's good to be home, all right? <laughs> treat, treat us homecomers good, will you please? But it's just, I'm so excited, I'm so excited to be here. But I'm gonna tell you something. If I still lived in Haltom City, I'd be coming to this church. <laughs> this is such a great church. I mean, it is such a great church. And you have such a great pastor and his wife. These folks, I mean, everybody knows them, all of the Assemblies of God, and, and knows of this great church. Well, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be reading verses 18 and following. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a missionary, and this is the missionary passage, the Great Commission. And so I just want to start with this today and uh, I want to take you a little on a little life journey with me today if I can all right Matthew chapter 28 beginning with verse 18 here's what the word of God has to say then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's bow our head. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be at this great Bethesda church on this Sunday morning. I pray, dear Lord, as every time I preach, that you would anoint me by your Holy Spirit. Let there be a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of the Lord upon the ministry today. I pray that you would uh, uh, give me clarity, that you would help me to connect and help me to communicate, and that, uh, and that what you want uh, said and heard today will happen according to your good pleasure. Now ask these things in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen to God forevermore. Now, from this passage, I just really want to draw your attention to two words. Two words. The first two words in verse 19, therefore go. Therefore go. Uh, in March, this coming March, my wife will celebrate 40 years as Assemblies of God missionaries. During these 40 years, my entire ministry has been uh, an itinerant ministry. What I mean by itinerant ministry is that I have always been traveling. Whatever I was doing as a missionary, it always had me traveling from to other places, other cities in Thailand when I was doing the Good News Crusades, to many cities in China, all over America. And in fact, let me tell you how much I travel. Okay, on one airline, Delta Airlines, not the reward miles they give you, but actual in the seat flown miles. Just a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I turned five million miles with Delta Airlines. Five million miles. I flew in here yesterday. I fly out this afternoon. I'm always on airplanes. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just get a little bit tired. You know what I mean? 
And, and sometimes I just say, you know, I sit down next to a person. I say, Lord, would you just give me a break this time? Would this time, you know, just let the next person that sits by this person open the four spiritual laws, walk through the whole thing, bring them to Jesus, baptize them in the lavatory, you know, but just, get, just, just, just give me a break this time, will you? But inevitably, when you get there, you get on the plane, inevitably they always want to engage you in conversation. Always. I mean, they always do. And sooner or later, they get to that inevitable question where they say, what do you do for a living? When I tell them I'm a missionary, suddenly they lose interest in the conversation. <laughs> they, they don't want to talk about that. You know, they'll, they'll kind of lean back and take a little nap or they'll want to read the airline magazine. Want, I was on a flight one time and I sat next to a guy. And before, I mean, when we were still taxiing, we weren't even in the air. He started the conversation on, and he, and he got to that question. He said, what do you do for a living? And, uh, and, and, and I told him I'm a missionary. His response was very different. He, he just sat there for a moment, just silent, didn't say anything. And I could tell he was in deep thought. Then he turned to me and he said something that nobody had ever said. He said to me, you know, it must be tough to be a missionary. Nobody had ever responded that way. And so I wanted to give my response, some thoughts. So I sat there and I, I thought about some of, the, some of the tough times, some of the difficult times. And there, and there have been difficult times. Tough, I mean, our first term of missionary service, I got, I, I, I got, very, I got very, very sick. Had to go into the middle of the night uh, uh, to, uh, to the hospital. And, and, uh, and, and, and they uh, determined that I, had, uh, uh, that I had gallbladders. They were going to have to do a, a, an emergency surgery. And they did a surgery on me. They, they ruined my gallbladder and my appendix. Now, you say, Ron, you're telling me that both your gallbladder and your appendix both, both went out on you at the same time? No, they were running a special. Uh, <clears throat> it's like your gallbladder and any other organ of your choice. So, I didn't, <laughs> so, so, so anyway, but, but, <clears throat> but I, was, I was supposed to be in there about three days and something went wrong. Something in my system went wrong. My system paralyzed. And, and I was in there, not three days, not five days, but I was literally in there for, for weeks. And, 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 and the doctor told my wife, a Baptist medical missionary, he said, I don't know what's wrong with your husband, but your husband is dying. And we don't know why. Myself, my wife, brand new, first-term missionaries, our daughter, our newborn son, just a few months old. That's tough, and, 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 and I die, except a mirror, by a miracle, God healed me. There's been other times, I'd, uh, uh, there, twice we were in terrible automobile accidents that, uh, that destroyed the vehicles that we were riding in. Every member of our family were on it, except by the grace of God, we could have all been killed. We all walked away. And many times, tough times when I was doing open air crusade evangelism in Thailand. Sometimes we'd go and we'd be in areas that were kind of uh, resistant to the gospel. The, the Buddhist monks would stir up the people and they would come and, and they would threaten and they would jeer. There's been time I'd be standing up on a platform like this a little bit higher and people would come up and, and they'd shake their fist and they would threaten me. One time while I was preaching, right while I was preaching, a bullet whizzed past my head. Fortunately, it had been thrown. <laughs> Well, they were a poor people. They could afford the bullet, but not the gun. But I knew what was in their heart. So, I mean, there's been tough times. But as I thought about that, I thought about all the great times. And I turned to him and I said, you know what? It's not been tough being a missionary. I said, it's been a pleasure to be a missionary. When I got to my destination, got to the hotel, I couldn't get away from that. And I sat down and I wrote three pleasures of being 
a missionary. I want to give those to you this morning. The first pleasure of being a missionary is the pleasure of anticipation. That's when God first called you. I remember when God first called me. Many of our missionaries God called when they were children. Others in high school at a youth convention. or Some, some, some maybe in a, 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 when, when they're at college. But not for myself and my wife. We went to Southeastern Assemblies of God College. Back then called Southeastern Bible College. And we graduated. And, and uh, God, we, we didn't know anything about being a missionary. We, you know, we graduated and we took a church. A little church. A little church. A little church up in Westland. I say a little church. We had 11 people on Easter. <laughs> I mean, it was a little church. But we were brand new. We are kids. I thought, Lord, how am I ever going to lead all of these people? <laughs> but we began to grow. We got up to about 50, and I thought, well, let's do a missions convention. And so we had a missionary come in, and he did all the preaching, and he was leading us in the faith promises. And, and we were holding the faith promise card in our hand. We'd done this in our home churches, me in Georgia and my, my wife in uh, New Jersey. We'd done it at Bible College. This was different. This is our church, holding the faith promise card. And I, and I said, Lord, what do you want from us this time? And God spoke to my heart, and he said, this time I want you. And in a missionary faith promise service, God called us to be missionary. I wrote on the card, Lord, we will go. But we couldn't go yet. Because in those days, it was different from now. There's only one way in. You had to, be, uh, you had to have pastored at least two years. I hadn't. You had to be ordained. I wasn't ordained yet. You had to be 25 years old. I wasn't 25 yet. So God called us, but we couldn't go. So we continued pastoring, fulfilling. But, it was, it, but, but all of that, that anticipation, God had called us. And I began to live that pleasure of anticipation. Every day I got up in the morning, God called us to the People's Republic of China. In China, foreigners couldn't live in China back in the 70s. And so we purposed we'd go as close as we could to Hong Kong. And every day I woke up, God's called us to the Chinese people, to the mainland of China, Hong Kong for now, and and. and, and, and and I mean, I live that pleasure of anticipation, living in the call of God. Finally, we met the requirements. We were, we were approved and, and, uh, and, and uh, went to Springfield and met the committee and began to itinerate and raise our money amongst the church. I don't think there's anybody as excited as a brand new missionary, just been approved, on their way to the field, telling the story. And so we were telling in the churches what we felt God wanted us to do. I mean, it was the pleasure, anticipating the call of God. And anticipating getting there. Finally, we raised our money. We got on the plane, myself, my wife, my little daughter, Wendy, two years old. I'll always remember coming in for a landing in Hong Kong, looking out the window. There's Hong Kong Island. There's Kowloon Peninsula. There are the new territories off in the distance, the mainland of China. Our hearts leapt in us. We landed. A missionary met us. He took us to a place where we would stay temporarily until we found our own apartment. When you fly halfway around the world, you, you, you get jet lag. You wake up very, very early in the morning. So we woke up early in the morning, and the buses didn't even start till 5 in the morning. But uh, we were waiting at the bus stop. At 5, we got on the bus, and we rode around town all day. We rode around all day long, <laughs> around and around. And we didn't want to ride around and around all day. We just didn't know where to get off. <laughs> and I remember the, the missionary that met us had give us our address written in Chinese. I found it in my pocket. We got in a taxi. We went back. But the, the pleasure of anticipation. Getting closer now, doing the work of God. We started to language school. 
Chinese language, Cantonese dialect of Chinese. And our teacher wanted us to learn this well. Chinese has seven, Cantonese has seven tones. He wanted us to learn the tones well. Because if you say a word with the wrong tone, you've said another word. And so he let us, he said, Nay, Chong, Chong, Yi, say, Chang. I went, Nay, Chong, Chong, Yi, say, Chang. He said, Nay, Chong, Chong, Yi, say, Penguo. Nay, Chong, Chong, Yi, say, Penguo. He taught us to say, Do you like to eat an orange? Do you like to eat an apple? Hey, I was speaking Chinese. I, mean, I wanted to put it to the work. I went to the market. You go to our apartment. There was fruit everywhere. <laughs> the pleasure of anticipation, learning the language, fulfilling the call. But after a little while, the pleasure of anticipation goes to the pleasure of experience where you're doing it. God called us to the People's Republic of China. And I began to pray, God, somehow get me into China. Get me into China. We arrived on my 27th birthday, June 29th. And by December, by a miracle, I had a visa to go in to China. I was there. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know anything. I was, just, I was just there. I was on the corner. And a man came up to me, and we began to talk and converse in my newly acquired Cantonese dialect of Chinese. And soon we realized that, that the other was a believer. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, we've got a, a little fellowship in my home. In 1949, the communists came into power and determined they would destroy Christianity. They threw out all the missionaries. They arrested the Chinese pastors, put them in prison. And uh, the church went underground. And so we've got a little fellowship in my home. And he said, will you come and be with us tonight? So I went and I said, that'd be wonderful. So I went as I was with them. And after we were there together a little while, they, you know, they were asking me things and all. They discovered that I was a, an ordained minister. And so the mom was my Chinese surname. They said, Ma Moksi. They said, teach him. Moksi means pastor, ordained minister. Ma Moksi, they said, teach us. And I thought, teach you. Teach you. You people are heroes. Every time you gather together in the name of Jesus, you do it with the realization that at any point, the secret police could break in and they could haul you off to prison. Every time you gather in Jesus' name, you do it knowing that your, your Chinese pastors, there were no pastors in the church, they were all in prison, that your pastor's in prison and that if the authorities come in, you could join them in prison. Every time they gather, they risk their liberty and their freedom. I said, teach you, you people are heroes, you should be teaching me. They said, Mom, see, you're an ordained minister. We don't have any ordained ministers. Teach us. And, and so we sat on the floor cross-legged. I opened up the Bible. And you talk about the pleasure of experience sitting there with men and women who have paid everything, who sacrifice everything, who risk everything in order to serve Jesus. Sitting there with men and women that love Jesus so much just to worship him in their home, they will risk prison. I was in one house fellowship, and, and we had a service and all, and kind of at the end of the service, the, the man who was the leader, he said, Mama, he said, now you're an ordained minister, right? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, he said, we have a tradition uh, in China, he said, that you can only be baptized by ordained ministers. And he said, uh, 
our ordained ministers, they're all in prison. We don't have any ordained ministers. They said, most of us have been serving the Lord for many years. We don't have an ordained minister. They said, you're an ordained minister. Will you baptize us? I tried to teach them. The Bible doesn't say you have to be ordained to baptize. I tried to teach them. Elders, you baptize the younger. Parents, you baptize your children. They wouldn't hear of it. He said, Mom, he said, we, we have our tradition. You're ordained. How can you deny us? So I said, okay, I will. I'll do it. But how? Where? You couldn't go out to a public place. They said, everything's under control. Somebody pulled out from under a counter an old tin wash tub. You know what I mean? Old tin wash tub. You know, it's about this big around. It's about that deep. They put it in the middle of the floor. They, they, they filled it with water. I thought, what do I do? So I, I just knelt down. They knelt down and made a line. The first one came up. I put my hand on his head. I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And I mashed him as deep down into that wash tub as I could get him. I baptized the top half of 17 people. And then I began to think about that. I thought, now I'm an Assemblies of God minister, and uh, uh, we believe in baptism by total immersion. I thought, now that I baptized the top half of these people, should I turn them around? And uh, <laughs> I just decided to call the job done. <laughs> you know, it didn't seem to matter to them. I don't think it mattered to God either. Do you? But it's the pleasure of experience doing it. We were a term in Hong Kong, and then we were contacted by our mission leadership. They said that a missionary in Thailand that was doing open-air evangelism and church planting has passed away. The work is very critical because the, the work in, 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 in Thailand is very young, and this is a strategic ministry. And they asked us to go over there and take over that ministry. Well, we prayed, and we decided to honor the request of our leadership, so we went to Thailand and to do these these open-air crusades. Talk about the pleasure of experience. I wish I could tell you what it is like, friends, to stand on a platform before several hundred Thai people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. Hundreds, sometimes thousands, of whom know more than a handful to stand on that platform and for the first time to tell them that there is a God who made them. Who had a son named Jesus. And he gave his son who gave his life. That they would not have to go to the temples and make offerings and sacrifices and make merits. They wouldn't have to go to the spirit houses to the spirits that resided in that spirit house on that parcel of land and make offerings, but that all they had to do was believe in Jesus and all of their sin could be washed away. I wish I could tell you what it's like to stand uh, under a starlit tie night and for the first time that they had ever heard it preach that message and to give an invitation and to see people stand up and step out of the darkness of that night and in so doing step out of the darkness of their lives. I wish I could tell you the pleasure, the experience of standing there 
in, uh, in front of them and leading them after 10,000 and more unanswered prayers to the idols and to the images that could not hear and could not respond. After 10,000 prayers to lead them in the first prayer that ever had an answer when they followed after me and said, Oh God, I never heard of you to before, but I heard tonight and I believe. And watching, you could see literally the very moment uh, all of the demons that had moved into their lives as they worshiped the evil spirits. Uh, you could watch and you could see as all of those demons moved out of their life because Jesus, the Son of God, moved in. <laughs> the pleasure of experience, doing it, fulfilling the call of God, telling the untold. Planting the church of Jesus Christ where it's never been planted. Erecting the cross where it's never been seen before. I did these crusades. Normally uh, they would go and they would set everything up ahead of me. And then, and then uh, uh, I would join them once everything was ready. One time they were, we were doing a crusade down in uh, the city of Pattaya. Which is about two and a half, three hours below Bangkok, Thailand where we live. School was out, so my daughter, Wendy, who was about nine, said, Daddy, can I go to the, to the crusade with you? I said, well, baby, you sure can. And so we were riding down in our Speed of Light van, and she said, Daddy, she said, uh, can I sing? Can I sing in the crusade tonight? And I said, well, baby, I didn't even know that you sing. <laughs> she said, well, it never had before. She said, but I've got a cassette tape. She had a cassette tape. This was in the 80s. She had a cassette tape of Sandy Patty. Remember Sandy Patty? Had a cassette tape of Sandy Patty. She said, I thought I could sing with this. I said, well, baby, sure you can. So that night, my little daughter, Wendy, stood on a platform in a beautiful little Thai outfit in front of several hundred lost Thai people, and she sang a duet <laughs> with Sandy Patty. Mostly Sandy. <laughs> but as she stood on that little platform that night, singing to the lost, something began to bubble in her little heart. And today my daughter Wendy and her husband and their children are missionaries in southwest China. I was doing another crusade in a village called Muktahan in northeast Thailand. Muktahan was right on the banks of the Mekong River. Directly across from Muktahan was Savanakhet, Laos, communist Laos. We could not go there. They would not let us come in. But the river was not wide. And so I said, let's turn some of the speakers in the direction across the river. The dialect that we were preaching in on this, the Thai side of the river was the same dialect that was spoken on the other side of the river. And so every night I would preach, and as I was preaching to the people on the Thai side, I would step over to the edge of the platform and look directly across, because the river wasn't wide, and directly across and speak to them. And I said, you people on the Lao side, at the end, when I invite people forward, and I lead them in prayer to accept Jesus, you can say the prayer too. And you can accept Jesus where you are. And so every night I would preach and then I would give the invitation and I would be leading them in prayer and I would look over on the Lao side of the river 
communist Laos. We could not physically go there. But I could see those people as their shoulders were kind of rising and falling as they were saying the prayer after us, accepting Jesus as their Savior. You see, they could physically keep us out, but they could not keep the sound of the gospel from carrying across the river. They couldn't keep the movement. They couldn't keep the movement of the Holy Spirit from those people's lives. They couldn't keep those people from being drawn to Jesus. They couldn't keep the people from believing and confessing and accepting Jesus as their Savior. All the pleasure of experience, preaching to peoples have never heard, enclosed, restricted access settings, and see Jesus set them free. While I was there in Mukdahan one night, you see, I move around a lot while I was preaching. And so one night uh, as I was preaching, I was kind of dragging my leg a little bit. You say, well, Ron, something wrong with your leg? No. I had taken my son, Sam, my oldest son, Sam. He was three years old. And I took him with me up to the crusade. And so every night he would just sit down on the ground, as everyone did. He'd just sit there. And so this one night, Sam must have looked around and realized he was the only little foreign kid there. And he got a little spooked. And right in the middle of my sermon, he jumped up. He ran across the altar area. He ran up steps to the front of the platform. He ran across the platform and took a flying leap, leap and landed on my leg. And he wrapped his arms and legs around my leg. And so for the rest of the night, it was preach a while, drag Sam a while. Preach a while, drag Sam a while. But his little Sam was wrapped around daddy's leg, listening to daddy preach to the lost. Jesus touched his heart. And today Sam and his wife and their children are missionaries in Thailand where he grew up. And my youngest son Matthew and his wife and their children or on our missionary team for China. The pleasure of experience, preaching to the lost, planting the church, opening closed countries, raising your children for Jesus to come in to the family business. The pleasure of experience. But then as your ears kind of roll by and your hair turns white, as mine has, you look back with the pleasure of remembrance at the things that you've done. And you ask the Lord, Lord, did anything that I did make a difference? I ultimately opened the country of Laos for Assemblies of God World Missions in 1990. I went in and negotiated with that communist government and got an opening for the Assemblies of God. We got missionaries in there immediately, and they have been there ever since. I opened the country of Cambodia, a war-torn communist country, where we'd never had Assemblies of God missionaries. And I went in and negotiated with the government and got entry, and we put missionaries in there, and they've been there ever since. I reopened Vietnam in 1975 at the end of the war. All of our missionaries had to leave Vietnam. In 1990, I went into Vietnam and I negotiated with the government and got, uh, and got registration for us as an organization. And we got our people in there. They've been there ever since. And so uh, 
the crusade ministry, I was made area director for a new area called Peninsula Asia, Burma, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. So I had to take on the responsibility of casting vision and creating new ministries and mentoring new missionaries and, and all. And so I gave up doing the crusade work and the church planting there in Thailand. So it had been some time, some years since I had been up there to some of these churches that I planted. So I contacted a missionary up there and said, you know, Kelly, I said, it's been a long time since I've been up there. I'd like to go and visit some of the churches that I planted. I hadn't been there for a while. He said, Ron, he said, they'd love to have you. And so he made an itinerary, and the first night I was in a little village called Koksawang. Koksawang just a little tiny village. We'd gone there, we'd preached the gospel, the gospel took root, people believed, we started a church. And so I was there that first night. Now, I remember sitting there, there's a little A-frame building, everybody sits on the floor, and, uh, and the pastor was leading the service, and it got to the time that he would introduce me. And so normally they would call me Ajan. Ajan means like pastor or teacher. Ajan Ron, my name Ron, Ajan Ron. Normally they would call me Ajan Ron. So normally they'd say, We're very glad to have Pastor Ron with us tonight to speak to us. But he didn't say that. He said, He said, We're glad to have Father, not, a, not Pastor Ron, we're glad to have Father Ron with us tonight. And he used the term father, Paul, not like a religious father, like a priest, but like a respected elder. He said, we're glad to have Father Ron with this, us tonight. He said, Paul Ron is our father in the Lord and the father of our church. He said, when Paul Ron came, we were worshiping Buddha and he brought us Jesus. Let me tell you something. That'll make you feel pretty good, Pastor. That'll make you feel pretty good. We found them worshiping at the Buddha image and at the spirit houses. And we brought them Jesus. And they believed. The service was just a great service. I preached to them. And afterward, they rolled out the rattan mat as they do there down on the floor, and we sat cross-legged on the floor, and they put all the food out, and, and we were eating. You eat, eat with your fingers in something they call sticky rice. It's a glutinous rice. You break off a little bit, use that as a knife and fork kind of scoop. And so we're just having a wonderful time of fellowship. But I began to notice some people missing. And so I said, oh, where's brother so-and-so? They said, oh, a while back, he passed away. He's with, he's with Jesus now. And, I, and I, I noticed another one missing, and I asked about him. And I said, oh, with, with, with the Lord in heaven. I noticed a woman missing, Meniam, Mother, Mesomgit, Mesomgit, Mother Somgit. And I said, Where's Mother Somgit? They said, A while back she passed away. She's, she's in heaven. So it was a wonderful time. And the next night I was in the village of Nawa. Nawa was the first crusade that I planted, the first uh, crusade that I preached, and the first church that I planted. The service was so much the same. And then afterward, they rolled out the mat and put out the food. And we're sitting there. And again, I began to notice some people missing. I asked about this brother. And they said, well, he's with, he's with Jesus. Ask about another one with the Lord. And then I noticed that Meniam, Mother Neam, was missing. Meniam was the first believer. It was around her and her family that we established the church. I said, Meniam Yunai, where is Mother Neam? 
They said, oh, John Ron, they said about six months ago, Meniam passed away. She's in the arms of Jesus. And suddenly it dawned on me the reason that we had come. The reason that we left family and friends and homeland and possessions and traveled a half a world away. The reason that we had come had been realized in the lives of those people. We found them at the feet of Buddha and brought them to the foot of the cross. From darkness to light, from earth to glory, they had made the journey. And we could say, we've been successful. We've done what God has called us to do. We're populating heaven and depopulating hell. We're bringing them to Jesus, the pleasure of remembrance. Those were the three I wrote down. But there's another one now. God called us originally to China, the People's Republic of China. And we went in and served in Hong Kong, and I went in and out of mainland China. And then God took us on a 20-year side trip. And then in 2000, China was created as a region in Assemblies of God World Missions. And I was asked to become the first regional director as I had been the first area director for Peninsular Asia. At that time, we had 30-something missionaries. We had one strategy. The work was going very slow. And we returned to our original call to the people of China. And God began to move, and we began to grow. And over these 16 years, we've grown from 30-something missionaries to about 225 missionaries. From a single strategy to multiple strategies. And God has spoken to our hearts to go beyond the great Christian awakening. There's been a remarkable Christian awakening in China. A remarkable Christian awakening. In 1949, when the communists took over, there are less than a million believers in China. And they said, there's too many, we're going to destroy the church in China. They did everything that they could to destroy the church in China. They threw out all the missionaries. They confiscated churches. They arrested the Chinese pastors and they put them in prison. They made it illegal to gather together in the name of Jesus. They, uh, 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 they, they seized Bibles. 1966, Chairman Mao sent hundreds of thousands of Red Guard across the country in what was called the Cultural Revolution, seeking out any vestige of counter-revolutionaryism. Christianity wasn't the sole target, but if they found somebody still preaching, they put him in prison. They found somebody still reading their Bible, they took it away. They found a small group of people gathered in the name of Jesus. They scattered them hundreds of miles in different directions. 1975, Chairman Mao's wife, Chang Jing, said, Christianity is in the dustbin of Chinese history. It doesn't exist in China any longer. And then Chairman Mao died in 1976, followed by a couple of years of turmoil and upheaval, and a man by the name of Deng Xiaoping rose to power. Deng was a moderate and liberalizer, and he began to lift a little bit the hand of oppression that was on the whole country. And when he did, the church began to reveal itself. 
It hadn't been destroyed. It simply went underground. By 1980, he realized that there were now millions of believers in China. And now, uh, and by 1980, he realized that probably 3 million, 5 million. Today, it's estimated that in China that there are more than 100 million believers in the nation of China. After 60 After 67 years of the, de of, of the, of the, of the communist uh, devil, that's right, trying to destroy it. It's grown from less than a million to over 100 million. You say, Ron, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Well, let me ask you something. How many of you have uh, iPhones? You ever talk to Siri? <laughs> Let's ask Siri. Let's ask Siri. Now, Siri sometimes doesn't cooperate. So, and sometimes she makes an idiot out of me when I try this. But let's see. Let's see if she'll talk to me, okay? Siri, how many Christians in China? Looking. Here's some information. That's not what I want you to say. <laughs> how many Christians in China? Let me have a look. Okay, check it out. Pastor, read that number right there. How many Christians does Siri say there are in China? 108 million people. 108 million people. Let me tell you. Sometimes she says it out loud. But sometimes she won't cooperate because Siri is not a Christian. She's, she's embarrassed to admit what God has done in China. But she must reveal, at least in writing, 108 million. There had been a great Christian awakening in China amongst the Han people group. The Han are the pure Chinese. It's the largest people group in the world. One billion Han. 100 million Christians. But outside the Han people group, there are 400 million people in China who are other ethnic groups. 60 million Muslims. When you think of China, do you ever think of Muslims? When you think of Muslims, do you ever think of China? 60 million Muslims. Tibetans, Tibet, spiritually the darkest place I've ever been in my life. Demonic, dark, bondage, animist people groups. And so God has spoken to our heart to reach beyond the Han into the unreached people groups of whom 60 million Muslims, there are 20 million Uyghur Muslims, there's no Uyghur church. Seven and a half million Tibetans, there is no Tibetan church. 700,000 Dongshan peoples, there is no Dongshan church. And God has spoken to us to reach in, we have what we call Priority 31, 31 unreached people groups. You can go to Priority31.com and find these. And so I've been praying and believing God to send us more missionaries. For me, these are the years of replication. I spent the years on the platform. Now God has called me to bring missionaries, to mentor them, to train them, to cast vision. We're believing God to move from 225 missionaries to 300 missionaries. But the goal is the unreached peoples of China. 
the unreached peoples of China, among whom there is no church, the cross has not been lifted up, there's no effective witness to reach out to 400 million people, 70 million more than live in the United States of America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 225 missionaries moving to 300 to reach these 31, priority 31 people groups. My daughter and her husband and their kids, there are no missionary visas. They've opened a coffee shop, a coffee shop in Southwest. Somebody likes coffee over here. <laughs> a coffee shop in the city of Chengdu. How many people ever heard of Chengdu? Everyone has Chengdu. 14 million people in Chengdu. One has heard of it. <laughs> this is the nation. They've opened a coffee shop to bring people, 100, 200 people a day coming in that they can establish relationships and connections. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for their heart. Thank you for the pleasure of anticipation, experience, remembrance. And now the years of replication where I can pour my heart and I can pour my life into the lives of 225 missionaries for whom there are no missionary visas, that we have to use creative access to reach those that have been untouched by the great Christian awakening in China. These people groups, that there's no cross, no church, no Bible, no pastor, no witness but you have called us to establish creative ministries coffee shops adventure tourism businesses yak farms to bring us into relationship with the most lost of the lost thank you dear Lord because this church cares for the people of this community and for the lost and the unreached of China and our world. God bless them. Thank you, Lord, for 40 years that you have allowed me to serve you and the next four years to complete our journey. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. It's been so wonderful to be with you today. Bless your heart, Pastor.